Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Three passages. Three we have a really big study today. And today's actually a big day because of not only what's happening today and what we're going to study, but tonight. But we're going to look briefly at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. We'll come back and look at that a couple of times. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which is really not about the study, but it's about preparing our mind to get ready for the study. And then we're going to look late into the study. You'll know we're, coming, uh, we're landing the plane when we hit Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're in the final, uh, final lesson uh, of this particular workbook uh, in a series that we've called Living an Empowered Life. And in workbook number one, we went through four pretty deep studies about the person of the Holy Spirit, understanding this third part of the Trinity and how we have to know him personally. He's so passionate about wanting to develop an intimate relationship with us. And that's crucial because if we can understand the person of the Holy Spirit, then we can begin to rightly understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Lots of spirit-filled people kind of, you know, gloss through the first one and when I get right to the second one, but, but the first one is so essential so that you can understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we've been studying for the last three weeks. We'll finish up the final lesson in workbook number two, and we've got one more after this uh, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. So we first tried to understand what, what is spiritual power. We wanted to recalibrate it so we can get our head wrapped around it. And then we looked at three spiritual safeties, three spiritual power gauges that the Bible gives us, but not just privileges us with, we're responsible to keep our eyes on the dashboard all the time when we're, when we're encountering spiritual things to make sure that they are passing the gauges that the, that, the, that the Bible's given us. And then last week, we looked at three elementary steps, three fundamental steps that, we, that the Bible calls baptisms. Three things that, we, that uh, the Bible says are elementary, but they're fundamental if we want to continue to grow in Christ. And the last one was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to get to the heart of the hot button issue. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues. And so if this is your first time somewhere between, I'm so sorry, or uh, this is a great time for you to be here. But I hope you can get some context around this, and uh, we're going to walk through this thing this morning. But some people call that a prayer language. They're really the same thing. There's no distinction there, at least not what we believe. Today, we're going to talk about what it is. We're going to talk about what it's not. We're going to talk about what it does and why it was so important that it was part of the experience that Jesus commanded his disciples, not just the 12, but 120, and we find it, you know, 60 to 70 years later, still being written about all through the New Testament, particularly in the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And, uh, and so, so it, it's really important for, for us to set that stage today. Now, then tonight, anybody who wants to understand more about the Holy Spirit, uh, especially the speaking in tongues part and the baptism, uh, or if you want to receive it, you're ready to, to, to step forward and do that. Or, Pastor Brennan mentioned this, if you already have a prayer language, you've already been baptized in the Spirit, but if you're being like super honest, you, you're just not satisfied with it. You see all the Bible, things the Bible says it's supposed to do, but you're not experiencing any of that stuff. 
And so I, I want to help you to understand a few very practical but scriptural reasons why, because I've, I've gone through that, uh, and how to, how to be refilled, how you can intentionally do that like you're sticking, I don't mean to cheapen it, but like you're sticking a cup under a soda fountain, and you, you can fill it back up. You, you get to regulate that, and we should be doing it all the time. We should be able to measure when, when the cup's getting low, and we need to keep it really full, and we're going to talk about some of those things tonight. Uh, from 5 to 6.30, we'll, we'll actually finish the service part about 6. We're going to go for about an hour. We're going to worship a little bit. I've got some things I want to share with you about speaking in tongues and, and some things we can't get into this morning, some practical things for those of you that already have it, and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up somewhere around 6 o'clock, and then we'll give another 30 minutes uh, should anyone want to hang around and uh, if you want to receive or you want to get refilled. Now, I promised everybody that was here on day one, I would never, ever, ever put you in an awkward position. <clears throat> I'll never create an atmosphere so that you feel like somehow you're being pressured or there's a peer leaning, you know, where you've got to believe something or do something that you don't want to believe and do. Instead, what I promised you, and I'm doing the very best I can, is to walk you through a study of God's word that will give you the opportunity to push fear aside, to push all the confusion aside, and see what the Bible actually says about this. So you can actually see what this is about with the power and the person in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I even went as far as to say this, if by the end of the study, even if there's no change, even if you're like, nope, hey, appreciate that, I do know a lot more about it now than I didn't before, but I still don't want to buy into this. Listen, the, the great benefit is at least you're clear on what it is you're not buying into. It's not some big black hole of confusion or somebody's experience or somebody's picture or version. And I'm not saying that, you know, to badmouth anybody. I'm just saying it's really, really important. And by the way, I, I kind of rehearsed that because that's never been more true than, the, than today when we're actually going to talk about speaking in tongues. And we're going to talk about it again tonight, and we'll actually, for those of you that want to receive it, we'll have an opportunity. So I think the thing that we need to do, even though you've already more than adequately communicated, I think we need to just get this in our heart before we actually open the Bible. And uh, so would you turn to the person on your left or your right and just put a smile on your face and say it loud and proud. Would you tell them, I love my pastor? Go ahead and tell them that. Go ahead. <clears throat> All right. All right, I, I, some, of you, some of you caught off guard and you laughed, you didn't really say it, so let, let's say it different, but listen, something else, something else, I want you to turn to somebody else and say, I trust my pastor, go ahead and say that, come on, with confidence, yeah, and you're in church, so you can't lie, I appreciate that, thank you so much. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 is talking about the experience that happened on the day of Pentecost with the brand new baby, firstborn uh, New Testament church. And here's what it says. And they were all, everybody say all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. All of them did, by the way, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, that kind of makes sense because uh, several times prior to getting to the book of Acts, Jesus had commanded his disciples, hey, listen, whatever you do, don't do anything else. Don't take another step forward in this new kingdom life without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what we want to look at today was what he implied, what he assumed safely and scripturally was that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit would include a prayer language 
would include a way to communicate from your heart, from your spirit, right to the ears and the heart of, a, of, a, of an eternal God that cannot be interrupted. It cannot be intercepted. It, it can't be you know, reconfigured or twisted. This is straight from you to God, and it's a personal and a private prayer language, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, in your books, we should be on page number 43, but let me just say this. If you have a book that was in the first printing, then the first part under the teaching notes, including all the way down uh, the subtitle, An Improper Spiritual Relationship, we had a misprint there. And, and let me just tell you something. I am so impressed and so blessed with our team because uh, professional editing, professional you know, uh, study book development was not on anybody's job description, but they have worked really hard and given us some great resources. In fact, would you just take a moment and let them know how much you appreciate all the hard work? They've done a marvelous job. So we, we did have a little bit of a misprint. So if your version starts with, although confusion and controversy, a paragraph like that, then you got, you, got, you got the latest print. If you got one of the earliest ones, it might start with something else. Uh, just cross all that out and, and run your finger down until you see although confusion and controversy. That's what we're going we're gonna to start with today. So let me go ahead and finish the thought there. Even though that's very confusing and controversial, speaking in tongues, if you take the extremes, it, it's like the two ditches on the side of the road. There's an extreme on one side and extreme on the other side. An extreme on one side says that all that stuff, it's definitely in the Bible. It definitely happened, but it only happened once so that God could birth the church and then it didn't happen anymore. And then there's another extreme that said, yep, that happened. And if you don't experience that because Jesus commanded it, you're not even saved. Like you can't even live a Christian life if you don't have that and everything it entails. Those are two extreme beliefs out there, but they're alive and well. And you may run into that, especially if you're in conversations about this subject. But if you take those two extremes and push them to the side, because listen, they're small. They're very small percentages as extremes usually are. And we kind of come back to the middle of the road. Here, here's what we find out, and, and that is that almost every doctrine, almost every denomination, almost every scholar, except for the extreme ones, almost every scholar agrees the Bible teaches that speaking in tongues, or again, we might call it a prayer language, is not only scriptural, but it's relevant for today hasn't gone away. Nobody's disagreeing with this. Not anybody in, in kind of the very large, like 90% margin here. Nobody's disagreeing with that. What the controversy is, is how, it, how it's applied and how does it unfold in scripture. And we're going to look at some of those things today to try to unscramble them and find us a pathway straight through it. But I want you to understand that this is absolutely widely accepted in Christendom. It's not being argued, not, not as much as some people think. And so I want us to kind of stay outside of the, the peripherals, get in that big mainstream and go from that unified base. And today I want to look at six clarifying questions about speaking in tongues. And they're very practical, yet very scriptural. We're going to focus most of our attention on the first question and then on the last question, question number one and number six. And we'll just touch on questions two, three, four, and five 
uh, as we feel like we need to, just because some of you might have come from a different denomination or a different doctrinal teaching, and I at least want to point to a straight line right through the middle of stuff. But listen, your workbook was written intentionally to have a lot more information. There's a couple of appendixes in the back that, that get more into detail stuff that I can't possibly cover on a Sunday morning because I don't want you to walk away with all these questions and nobody even addressed them. Well, no, we're trying to address them so that you can understand. And so uh, I'm going to rely on appendix number two, particularly this morning, and we're going to focus where we need to. All right. But first, like I said, before we actually get to the six questions, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 12. Now, this is super important, not just for this study, but for a lot of different things that you're going to encounter if you become a, 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 a devoted follower of Christ. So this is a principle that, man, if you can get this down now, it's going to save you so much sideways energy. Listen to what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 12 says, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Stop. These are people that got saved. These are not just people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells us and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first baptism, by the way, salvation. And if you haven't gone to the second, water baptism, and then to the third, baptism in the Holy Spirit, then, uh, then, then, then that's something you need to pursue. But the very first one is when Jesus baptizes us through the birth canal of salvation, and we get, we get our spirit comes alive. And so he's saying, listen, we're not like other people. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. And this is why. So that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. Notice he says we can. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. But we can because our spirit is alive now. And our spiritual eyes have been opened and our spiritual ears have the capacity to hear, we now have the opportunity. Remember back in John 14, Jesus said, you're going to know the Holy Spirit because he's been with you all this time, and he's going to be in you. But he said, but the world can never know him because they, they don't have the capacity to listen and to see what we have because their spirit on the inside is still dark, it's still dead. But once you get born again, your spirit's made alive. And all the lights come on. And you have the ability now to hear. So he says, we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. Verse 13, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Holy Spirit using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Some of those words might be words that we receive while we're studying and we get an insight, we get kind of an epiphany uh, in, in theology. They would call it illumination, the lights come on, or even a revelation, something you've never seen before. But we can experience those things because our spirit's alive. But let me tell you something else that we've been given by the Holy Spirit that the words that we can use to understand is the written word of God. So we have all of those words at our, expo at our disposal, and because our spirit's alive, we read the Bible differently than somebody who's just looking at it as a piece of literature. We look at it with a spirit alive, and we know that while we're reading our Bible, our Bible's reading us, and our Bible starts talking to us 
because it's a spiritual book, the Bible says. It's still alive. The words of God still carry the life of God, and there's an interaction. Well, he's saying here, we're going to talk to you about spiritual things, but we want to let you know right off the bat, we're not using natural logic, natural reasoning, natural approaches to this. He said, we're going to use spiritual words that, that, that are given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can explain spiritual things. Verse 14, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand. Again, not automatic, but you have the capacity to do it. Can understand what the Spirit means. Verse 15, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, not automatic, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. In other words, when we're following the spiritual truths and principles and the leading of the Holy Spirit, people from the outside are like, what are you doing? You're, you're nuts. You mean you go to church like every Sunday? You read your Bible like every day? And, and they're making these judgments on you like you're crazy. But they, the judgments are not valid. They have no, no authority, no oomph to them because they don't understand. They're on a whole different wavelength, and that's what he's saying here. Verse 16, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who, can, who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things for because we have, or some translations say, we've been given the mind of Christ. Now, I want you to hear that because I want you to understand even though we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to approach things from a spiritual vantage point or you can read things in the Bible and your natural thinking that some of you have worked a long time, you've educated this mind with multiple degrees, you've become really sharp in, in being savvy and, and with your stewardship and your strategy and all those things are good by the way. But if you don't understand when you come to spiritual things, you've got to shift gears. You've got to begin to think spiritually You've got to begin to understand spiritual words to explain spiritual truths. Otherwise, your natural mind will challenge you to the core and will talk you out of it. That's really the basis of Mark chapter 4 when it says the seeds of God's word get planted. But before you could even get down the road, your natural mind's already challenging you. Your natural mind's saying, yeah, but that, that's not, come on, you, you've, you've seen other people. And before you get to the car, all the seed that was planted has already been pulled out of your heart and tossed by the wayside. Nothing will grow because you didn't put your spiritual lens on. But it's not because you don't have the capacity. It's because it's not automatic. You have to shift gears and you have to say, okay, I'm going to begin to think with the mind of Christ. The reason I want to bring that to you is not only in a principle form, this will help you everywhere all the time. In fact, in one passage, Paul said, ever since I understood this, I don't ever approach anything just from a natural perspective anymore, ever. Every single thing that I approach, I have to come through the lens of the spirit first and foremost. And once you begin to understand that, then you'll start tapping into what the Lord's saying and what the Lord wants to do and how the Lord wants you to navigate, and some of this stuff will make sense. Well, this morning I brought it to you because I promised you over and over again, and I'm going to hold to that promise today and tonight, that I will never make you feel awkward in these teachings. But let's be really clear, what I can't promise is that when we look at spiritual truth, that spiritual truth won't come across as strange. It will. It, it absolutely will. I can't avoid that because many or most spiritual truths to a natural thinking are like, what are you talking about? 
And, and if you're not switching over to the spiritual lens and you're not letting your spirit that's alive in Christ and your spiritual ears to hear and your eyes to see, then you're going to come at it from a natural perspective and you're going to go, that, that's just crazy. What? That's so weird. That's so crazy. I mean, I mean think about it. Uh, we honestly believe that if we declare that this man named Jesus over 2,000 years ago died on a Roman cross one day, spilled his blood on the ground, that that particular blood is good enough to wash all of our sins from the past, in the present, and all the way to the future, that that particular blood 2,000 years ago that was all over the ground is what can wash our sins and give us an eternal life in heaven and escape eternal death in hell We actually believe that. Listen to me, that's psychotic from a natural perspective. It's like, what? What are you talking about? But see, at some point, the Holy Spirit convicted, or the words convinced us, no, he really is who he says he is. And he really is alive. And something in our spirit came up, and faith rose, and we wrapped around that. And now, I'm telling you, 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 you could put us in front of a firing squad, and we say, no, we, we really can't deny it. Wait, this, we believe this to the core. Like we're banking all of our eternity on this, that this is absolutely true. And, and, and yet it makes no sense to the natural mind. You have to switch over to a spiritual mind. Uh, the same thing's true about, you know, we're, we're tithers and the, the first 10, 10% puts us back in a covenant with God and reminds him that we understand everything belongs to him. And then we're generous givers because we get to invest in the kingdom. And he promises that'll all come back to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over 30, 60, 100 fold good, and then better, and then finally fully mature. And all these promises in the Bible... And by the way, uh, the New Testament also says that all of these promises have already been guaranteed, yes, in the courts of heaven. God's excited and leaning over. I want to give you this. But it's up to us to say, amen, so be it. And if we don't say that, then we don't automatically receive anything from the Lord. See, these are concepts from a spiritual dynamic that if you have a spiritual lens, they make perfect sense. And we're like, yeah, we're governing our life by this stuff. We're learning to live more confidently. But from a natural perspective, I don't even mean from an unbelieving perspective, from a natural mind's perspective, that's just the craziest thing in the world. That's foolish to, to lean into some of these things and invest when everything in the culture says you, you should do something very different. But once you're saved, once you're alive, again, it's not automatic, you have the opportunity to say, I, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to believe that these spiritual words are showing me a spiritual per, uh, approach to life that will bring spiritual blessings that are far beyond uh, what, any, what the world can supply. And not only that, they'll supersede natural things here. They can get me healed when nothing else will heal me. They can provide resources for me when the rest of the economy is going into the tank. They can give wisdom. They can save my marriage. They can rescue my kids and they can bring me fulfillment and happiness and long lasting joy in life so that every day, even in my old age, I get up saying, man, let me at them. This is another day the Lord's made and I'm excited to be part of it and I'm, I'm going to do something for the kingdom today. That only comes from a spiritual lens. And so as we begin to look at these questions about speaking in tongues, listen, I'm going to do everything I can not to make it awkward in the atmosphere, but I can't not make it strange. 
especially if you've never heard of this stuff before or if you've been taught something different, I can't fix that for you. You're going to have to put on spiritual lenses and put spiritual ears on and let the Holy Spirit walk you through it. My job is to be as clear as we can with the text. All right, six questions then about the Holy Spirit. We're on the bottom of page 43 if you're following along in your workbook. Question number one, what in the world is speaking in tongues? What is this? And so speaking in tongues, in short, scriptures tell us that speaking in tongues is the supernatural ability to pray, to worship or praise, and and to prophesy, to speak things that are coming straight from the Lord uh, using languages both human and heavenly. And here's the kicker, right? That, that you, you might be able to get your head wrapped around that, but when we get to this final part, using languages that you've never learned, and by the way, while you're speaking it, your mind has no idea what you're saying. I mean, that's just bizarre, right? Unless you come from a spiritual perspective and you're like, what in the world is that? It's just strange, but listen to me, it's absolutely still true. Just because it's strange doesn't mean it's not true. It means we need to understand, well, how does this truth work from a spiritual perspective? Because we don't have anything that even looks remotely like that in the natural. And so it's true from a spiritual perspective, and the New Testament confirms it. Let me just give you three quick scriptures. Again, there's more in your workbook, especially in the appendix. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth... And we know there's a lot of them, thousands of them, different dialects, and we don't even understand. You know, most of us Americans think English is, you know, everybody speaks English. It's the language. It's not. It's a language that's become pretty popular around the world, mostly because of commerce and, and marketing and, and our standing in, as a world power. But English is not the only one. There's thousands and thousands of human languages and dialects. And it says, all the, uh, if I could speak of all the languages on the earth and of angels... Some people assume that the angelic language is just one. I I don't know that we can make that assumption from Scripture. There might be multiple dialects, hundreds of dialects when we get to heaven. I don't know that. I just know there's at least two big categories, the ones that are on the earth and the ones that are in the heavenlies. It says, but we didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, "If uh, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it'll, it'll all be mysterious. So again, not only will you be speaking a language that you never learned, but you'll be speaking a language that you don't even, your mind's going, what are you saying? Especially at first, your mind is like, why are you doing this? This is insane. This is nuts. What, what are you thinking here? Because our minds, since, really since we started toddling around and f- been forming words, our mind has been taught, you learn it, you understand it, you think about it, and then you say it. In fact, we have sayings like, man, don't talk before you think. And yet, speaking in tongues is a language that you begin to speak and you never think. It just rolls out of your spirit. Now, you're going to see why in just a minute. That's so important and so valuable to us. But at first, I just want you to understand, even though it's a strange thing, this is still absolutely true. Speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a heavenly language or sometimes languages on the earth. We'll talk about that in a minute. But a heavenly language or languages on the earth that you never learned and you don't understand. I know it's weird, but it's still true. 
It's all the way through the New Testament. So hold on to that and let's keep building. Question number two, do I have to speak in tongues to be saved? And the concise answer is absolutely not. Again, we, we have people on the spirit-filled side, the Pentecostal side, and, 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 and in that extreme portion over here that might imply that. Some of them might even tell you that. Listen to me, it's just absolutely not scripturally true. Just not scripturally true. And so Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, no mention of tongues, no mention of any of that kind of, you know, that spiritual, that third, third spiritual gift, no mention of that. If you confess Jesus, you're going to be saved. Why? Because with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. In other words, if if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, if you confessed him, he's the Lord, and I know that God rose him from the dead, and I believe that in my heart, and I'm going to declare that with my mouth and make him the Lord of my life, according to the word of God, you're saved. You're absolutely saved. And it's really important for you to understand that. I'll bring, bring that back in just a moment, look at something else. Here's question number three. Is speaking in tongues up to the believer or does the Holy Spirit decide who gets a prayer language? This is kind of a pretty big doctrinal riff in Christendom. And some, some churches, some doctrines believe that tongues is real, no, no question about it. Tongues is for today. But, but the Holy Spirit gets to choose who gets tongues and who doesn't get tongues. Who gets the prayer language and who doesn't? He gets to choose. And a lot of that has to do with their interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. But let me just kind of lay it down so that you understand. Even though some believers, some believers think that the Holy Spirit gives a prayer language to some but not to others, the New Testament is really, really consistent that speaking in tongues is available to every single believer if they want to and they're ready to receive it by faith. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. So that's a clear answer. Let me give you two quick scriptures that will support that. But again, there's more in your workbook and in appendix two. Acts chapter two, verse four, we read it at the beginning. And they were all, everybody say all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Listen, not every Christian's comfortable with that. But listen, they can't refute the fact that this is scripture and it set a New Testament pattern that really, if you read for the rest of the book of Acts, the New Testament pattern is consistent and clear. The Holy Spirit fell and he fell and first he filled the building and then he filled them and they spoke in tongues. It's either directly mentioned or it is, it is uh, absolutely clearly implied that these were kind of a package deal. And this is how it worked, and it goes all the way through the book of Acts. But even if we didn't, if we didn't think, ah, I don't know if that's true or not, again, we're 60 to 70 years later, and the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, and listen to what he says in, in chapter 14, verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, even if you're just a rational Bible student, you look at that and you say, first of all, that expresses a, a, a passionate gratitude and affection that Paul has for the gift of speaking in tongues. But he says, I speak in tongues more than you all, which strongly implies that all of them, or at least a great many of them, 
uh, that, that were reading his letters spoke in tongues. Otherwise, the implication would have been inappropriate. Because if just a few of them spoke in tongues and just a few that the Holy Spirit selected, then that wouldn't be appropriate for him to say, hey, by the way, I'm just bragging about this. The Holy Spirit gave me the gift, but not you. And I'm just so grateful that I, that I do it more than you guys do. That's inappropriate. But he was laying it out there because it's available to anyone and everybody who's in Christianity who wants to receive it. We'll talk about that tonight. Question number four, we're on page 46 now. Question number four, if you don't speak in tongues, are you a second-class Christian? And, and I don't know that, you know, you may not meet anybody who says this, but I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this by somebody because they're in a conversation or they're somewhere, and what they feel the room fill up with is, if I don't do this, if I don't buy into it, somehow I'm, I'm, you know, I'm lower on the status pole. And let me just tell you really clear from Scripture, in fact, I'm going give to you, give you a verse for it, there are no second-class Christians, Absolutely not. According to the Bible, when we accept Jesus, we've all been perfected in Christ. But now listen to this. We're all, everybody say all. We're all on this journey to receive all that God has for us. Nobody is there. I don't care if you've, been, if you've been baptized in the Spirit, you've been speaking in tongues since you were two years old, and you prophesy you know, all day long, every single day. Listen to me, you have not received all that God has for you. We're all on the same journey. We've been perfected in Christ Jesus already. And now we're growing up into him, looking to receive. And so some Christians have understood what the baptism provides and what the prayer language provides, and they've stepped into that, and they're growing, and that's wonderful. And other Christians are not quite there on the journey yet, sometimes because they had helped to not be there. Somebody confused them, somebody taught them differently, or, or somebody, you know, told them some stories that just kind of weirded them out, and they're like, I don't know what that's about. This is, this is a great opportunity for us to fix all that. But if you choose to walk forward, and if you choose to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and to receive a prayer language, then there are a ton of benefits, and we're going to look at some of those. I want you to know Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one sacrifice, we have been made perfect in Christ, and now we are being made holy. Now we're growing up into what Jesus has already provided. Question number five, we're on page 46 still, the very bottom. Is speaking in tongues for your personal life or your corporate life? Now, I'm not going to touch this one because this is part of a big doctrinal difference, uh, but it's all covered in Appendix 2 back there. I've tried to make it super simple so you don't have to be theologians, but you'll understand why some people say. But again, this is part of that doctrinal interpretation, how they view 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Do they see it as the personal application of a prayer language, the personal benefit of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, or do they see it as the corporate actions, which the Bible lists those, what happens when we get together, the Holy Spirit does something like you saw this morning, like Pastor Brandon and Pastor Jenny said, felt like the Lord gave me something for you. Well, those scriptures and those references are all over the Bible, but the Holy Spirit did something in this moment, and he gave them a word of encouragement for us, a word that will edify and, uh, and boy, we, 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 can, we received that because it's in the scripture and uh, you know, the gauge is there that the Holy Spirit said, yep, boy, that, that's what I've been whispering to you. I'm, I'm gonna do this for you. And that was, that was all something that happens when we're in corporate gatherings. And so here's the short answer. The short answer is at Lakeshore, we believe that the prayer language is for both. It can be used personal or it can be used in corporate settings. And you have three reasons that are listed on page 40, 46 and 47. And there's more back in the appendix 
but all of that because I want to get to this last one where we're going to spend the rest of, uh, of the few minutes we have. Question number six, what are the benefits of speaking in tongues? And there's basically three in the New Testament. I mean, th- these fan out like branches on a tree. They're all over our lives, but there's three fundamental ones we can understand. And here's the first one. Uh, speaking in tongues helps believers to pray beyond the limits of their natural mind. And let me take you to Romans 8.26. Now, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Romans 8.26. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. It's really interesting when you read this verse in different translations, because different translations will translate little nuances of these words differently. And you kind of have to bring them all together to see what the translators were struggling with because this is a rich, rich, rich verse. And I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but, uh, but scholars agree this, one, this one's tricky to translate. This one really have to work. So you kind of have to pull them all together and then understand the larger context and, uh, and you'll pull some things out. But if we can at least quickly look at a few words, these are in your workbook, so we're not going to go in detail, but let me give you a few words that will help and then I'll give you the expanded translation and we'll move on. When, when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit helps us, this is a compound word that literally means uh, for someone to take hold of something with another person or to partner with another person. So here's the confusion. Some people think that, uh, that this is a reference that the Holy Spirit steps in and does it for us. That's not what any of the translations say. The Holy Spirit comes in and partners with us. He takes something with you. You're still fully engaged, but now he's engaged. And you guys are grabbing this thing together. And you say, well, what, what are you engaged with? He said, in times of weakness. And this particular word is not only identifying whatever the particular struggle, the challenge, the circumstance, the scenario, the dilemma, whatever's challenging you, but the Greek also actually includes your inability to handle that challenge. So it's not the thing. It's how it's the thing, but how that thing is affecting you and how it's proving to you, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I'm sinking, man. This one's too heavy for me. It's too discouraging for me. It's too confusing. So there's a weakness in our life. And I want you to know that in those moments, the Holy Spirit steps in and takes hold of a scenario to strengthen your weakness. Okay? So you're kind of walking in the door trying to grab something and somebody loves you see and they jump up off the couch. Oh, let me help you with that. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Help you in a moment or in an area of struggle. And this is how he helps you. It says he prays for us. And actually, again, he's not doing the praying for us. He's praying with us or he's, he's praying on our behalf in partnership with us. You, you have to understand, some people will translate this verse that, see, the Holy Spirit does it all because I don't know what to do. So I just say, Holy Spirit, you take the wheel. And he just does it all. That's not in any of the translations what the Bible's trying to get across. The Bible's trying to get across that this great paraclete, this great partner, this one that comes alongside, jumps down into a, a, a situation with you, that you that's crumbling you, that you can't handle, and he grabs hold of this, and one of the ways that he helps is he begins be declaring spiritual strength and spiritual truth and spiritual authority into this thing, but I want you to know how he does it. He prays for us by praying with us or through us. It says with groaning 
that can't be expressed in words. The word groaning is such, it's, I'll talk about it more tonight. I'm super excited to talk about it tonight because it's very practical in how it works in our life. But groanings are the, those things that happen in our life. Uh, they literally are these guttural sounds. It, it means to aspirate from the depths of who you are. And it's those times where, where we, we don't really have words to put to it, right? So we just go, ah. Oh. Well, if somebody's there, it's like, what does that mean? You know, ah, oh. well, we don't know, but we're expressing something that we, we just can't find the words, and so we have this guttural sound that just comes aspirating, just comes leaking out, or somebody does something and says, mm, what does that mean? You know, mm, <laughs> I don't know, or, or you get frustrated, you're like, ah, what does that mean? Well, categorically, we might be able to say, I, I think it's in this category, but I don't know exactly what that means. Are you frustrated at yourself? Are you frustrated at someone else? Are you frustrated? What does that exactly mean? And these are these groanings. We kind of have them in the natural, uh, in our everyday life, but the Bible says that there are groanings that are much, much deeper than that. It's kind of when, when, you, when you just get this news that's devastating, or you've been so hurt, and you might you know, crawl in, in, in the middle of your bed, or crawl in the corner of a room in a fetal position, and you're crying, and you're just, you're just groaning. You can't even say anything. You're just groaning. That's coming from such a deep place. You don't even know how to communicate that. And the Bible says that in those moments... When he's invited, the Holy Spirit steps in and he grabs a situation for us and he begins using those guttural sounds, these aspirations that are coming from the deepest part of us to pray for us and to pray with us. And notice it says they can't be expressed into words. It means these particular things cannot possibly be translated into any known language. You can't explain it. Even when someone says, what does that mean? You can kind of sort of, but you can't even explain it. It's too deep. It's much too deep. So if we were to expand the translation, I'm kind of putting a bunch of them together, plus a word statement, a, 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 word, uh, a, a word study, but it would say this, the Holy Spirit himself literally steps into partnership with us when we're completely overwhelmed by our current situation, activating supernatural power for us by drawing from the depths of his heart to inspire our spiritual language with spiritual words that are so far beyond human expression that only God can understand. This is one of those from, from a spiritual sense. I can't quite explain in the natural, but I can tell you this because I've experienced it thousands of times. There are times that I'm lost. I don't know what to, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to think about this one. I, I, and, and sometimes, by the way, it's a really bad thing. And other times it's a really good thing. And I don't know how to express it. It's like my, my, my mind and the words that, that I have are just locked up. And, and having a prayer language gives you a whole nother gear. And you just kick into something that much deeper. And I can't tell you what I'm saying in, in, in the middle of that exchange, but I can tell you this in a very real and a measurable way. I can feel the download. Where when I started, I was like, you know, just kind of all twisted up. And all of a sudden I can feel somebody just popped a cork and I'm just, I'm just offloading. You've heard that expression from your heart to God's ears. This is exactly what happens. And, and here's the good news for someone who has, who has a prayer language and who begins to know how to use it. Listen to me. You never, ever, 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 ever again have to feel at a loss. Never. You hit those times, and we hit them all the time in life, right? Oh, I don't know what to do. You can begin to pray in the Spirit, and you can sense the Holy Spirit's strength. 
and you can sense the download that's happening and you talk about an incredible strength an incredible relief and a release and the ability to communicate something. And again, I can't tell you what I'm saying because it's not a language that, that I've learned. I still don't understand it, but I can experience it. And I can tell you that in those moments, I can feel the release and I can feel the relief and then I can feel the strength of the Holy Spirit like God and I just communicated on a level that I don't even pretend to understand. But it is completely accurate and completely intimate. And that's what the Bible says speaking in tongues is. Which leads us to, the, to, to number two. And these last two will be short. Speaking in tongues strengthens and fortifies the believer's spirit. Listen to Jude chapter one. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know to what degree the scholarship is here, if we're exegeting words, and, but I can tell you I'm not at, out, of the, uh, out of the ballpark, uh, and this has always been a personal ver, ver, uh, verse for me, because if I'm reading this from my practical standpoint, when I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, that is my most sacred level of faith. Why? Because I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm trusting God like, like on an uber level, right? I, I, don't, I don't even know when, I, when, when I'm praying because I'm, I'm quoting a scripture or I'm asking the Lord to help me with something, you know, that's different because I'm using my mind, right? But when I'm praying in the spirit, my mind just has to kind of go over and sit down until I'm finished. And I'm experiencing everything in my spirit. That's the most sacred, the highest level of trust in God that somehow this is working when my mind's like, what are you doing, dude? You're wasting time. That's not going to help anything, but experientially, it's like, no, it's already helping. It's already helping, and the Bible promises me this helps immensely. It's the most sacred, the most holy faith that I can demonstrate is praying in the Holy Spirit, and notice this, when I'm doing that, I'm building myself up. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, but you, dear friends, must build your lives up ever more strongly upon the foundation of our holy faith, learning to pray in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Listen, living a victorious life requires spiritual energy. It just does. You have to make decisions all day long, some of them instinctive, some of them uh, intentional, some of them very weighty and strategic, but you need the wisdom of the Lord. And then even when you know what to do, you need the spiritual confidence, you need the strength. Sometimes you need the help of the Lord to let something go and forget it and forgive. Sometimes you need the strength of the Lord to pick something up and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going with this. You have to have spiritual strength. There's no question about it. And spiritual strength is a renewable energy. It's not something that you get and every single day, it's like physical strength. If you're not caring for it and, and renewing it, then it will run dry. And the Bible says one of the ways that we build up our spiritual strength, whether we're, we're, we're going to serve God with something, whether we're just out for another day and we just want to make sure we're starting the morning right, or we're in some really big trial, praying in the Holy Spirit is kind of like plugging one of your electronic devices, your smartphone, into a charger. And you can feel the little ding, and it begins to charge your spirit. And if we're not doing that, I mean, we're, we're smart enough to know you can have the, the latest and the greatest smartphone, but if you don't have a charger and you're not plugging it in, it's going to be awesome for a while, and then it's going to get to the red bar, and it's going to shut off on you, and you've got a wonderful $1,500 piece of equipment that you can't use. Welcome to Christianity. It's exhaust, inexhaustibly rich. So much of this. But I can't tell you how many Christians are running around 
and trying to live the moral life and live the faith-filled life, but they never plug into the charger. They're not getting supercharged with anything. And that's exactly what praying in the Spirit does. This is why Jesus said, whatever you do, whatever you do, you gotta have your charger. You gotta get charged up. You gotta be able to renew that spiritual energy. You have to be able to, to, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and the prayer language is a part of that. Here's the last one and this one will be quick. It's uh, it, that speaking in tongues refills the believer's spiritual reservoir. Now here's the wonderful thing. Some of you did this this morning and you didn't even know it. But Ephesians chapter five says, and don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. The word dissipation is another one of those interesting words because it means so many different things, but all of them are negative. Everything in, in some translations you'll read, and it just talks, in fact, I, I put some of the translations in your workbook so you can see the different way they translated. In some of the translation, it just means that it evaporates. So it's good for a minute, and then it evaporates, and you're empty again, and you gotta go fill it back up, and you gotta do something else. But in other words, it always anticipates a bad result. It means really bad judgment. It means that it clouds your, your spiritual perspective. You can't really hear from the Lord, and, and mostly because you're relying on something else that the Holy Spirit was meant to fill in your life. Here's what it says. It doesn't say you can't drink. It's not what the Bible says. It says that under no circumstances should a believer be using alcohol or anything else that intoxicates or alters or kind of, you know, calms or, or, or does anything to mitigate uh, the, the struggles we're in because all of those are everything from temporary to unpredictable in their results. You have no idea how habit-forming some of this stuff is. I'm not, I'm not preaching against these things. I'm just saying it's really important. But the Bible says what we should be doing is we should learn to be filled with the Spirit. And the word filled in this particular verse is not just a one-time filling. It means to be filled and then continue to be refilled and refilled and refilled and refilled. Again, just like the battery charger, just like putting the endless fountain drink, putting your cup under there. You just keep that thing topped off all the time. And this is how we do it. You see, it goes on in verse 19. It says, by singing psalms and hymns, and listen to this, spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are songs that come straight from your heart. This is when, when uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about us singing in the Spirit. Sometimes we pray in the Spirit. Sometimes we sing in the Spirit. But we can go back and forth because we, we need to keep that refilling happening. And we need to keep, keep it moving. And as you begin to do that, this, this is what the Holy Spirit does. You learn to refill yourself anytime you want, all through the day. Sometimes I'm going through a rough day and I might need to refill five or six times all through the day. Other times I'm having a pretty great day. I filled up in the morning and I'm pretty good until we get to late in the evening and then I'll fill up again just before I go to bed. This is really, really important. And let me land it here. Listen to me. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. What, what does this actually mean? And how do you actually experience this in your Christian life? Because I'm just telling you, it's a game changer. This is why Jesus was so adamant about it. And this is why I believe the enemies fought so hard to make it so confusing and so weird. So we'd be like, ah, we, just, we don't need those charger things. Are you kidding me? This is a game changer right here. 
And so tonight, listen, if, if you want to learn more about what the baptism in the Holy Spirit looks like and the prayer language, or if you're ready, you say, man, I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've, I've been waiting for this. I'm ready. And you want to be baptized. Or if you've already been baptized in the Spirit, you have a prayer language. But again, it's not working the way I talked about. It's not, you're just not satisfied or, or you just need to be refilled. Or let's, I'll put another category. Maybe you're just curious. I, I, I'm telling you, I promise, including tonight, I'm not going to make anybody feel awkward nobody's going to feel strange. We're going to worship a little bit. I'm going to talk some more about what this is, real practical about how we experience this. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to dismiss. And anybody who just wants to stroll out the back door, no one's going to think a thing about it. You're on a journey. You get to figure it out between you and the Holy Spirit. But some people might want to stay, might want to pray, might want to experience what the Bible says is being baptized in the power of the Spirit or being filled or refilled in the Spirit. And I can promise you, it doesn't matter which of those categories you're in, if you'll trust me and you'll come tonight, I promise you this, your life will never be the same. Even if you walk out and you say, I'm not ready, you're gonna have a really clear picture. You're gonna say, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, that's what it feels like. Oh, that's how it's supposed to be. And you're gonna go home and be able to say, okay, I have some decisions to make, but they're your decisions to make. And I want you to know Christ loves you. You're already, you're perfected in him, but he's got something else that would make your life so much better, so much better, so much more meaningful. And I want you to have that tonight. So stand to your feet and let me pray for us. The whole morning went a little long, but uh, I, I, maybe it's my time to appreciate you guys. We're, we're not just a Bible believing church, but we're trying to teach. I don't just want to tell you what to do. I want to show you from the Bible how to do it. I want you to grow strong so when the days get crazier, man, everybody else is dropping, everybody else is stumbling around, not us. We're walking strong and straight, saying, no, we're gonna trust the Lord. Yeah, we feel it. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah, it's messing with our head, but we're taking authority over those thoughts and we're saying, no, no, but the Lord said. No, but the Bible promises and we can refill and be strong in the Lord. And sometimes that takes a little extra, but I appreciate you guys hanging in there and, uh, and doing it. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the teacher. I did everything that I knew how to get across very complicated, very complex message. But thank you for helping us, Lord, to digest what we need for this particular stage of the journey. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring back every person that you want to be here tonight. No pressure, no condemnation, whichever way. Bring them back, Lord, with an open heart, excited and anticipate for this wonderfully precious gift that the Holy Spirit has for them. In the meantime, Lord, go with us today. Anybody who has a prayer need, Lord, draw them to the front so we can agree and pray for them one more time. We bless you and we thank you for it until tonight. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.